0: Uh, welcome to another episode of Fringe. Today, we're talking to John Bolton about his recent book and other work about Georgia. So, John, would you like to kind of tell us your story? How did you get to where you are today?
1: Yeah, well, um, I'm a documentary photographer based in Bradford in the north of England. Um, actually, I came late to photography. I didn't even pick up a camera till I was almost 44. I've been a bit of a quick learner and built up quite a catalogue quite quickly, I suppose, even though all of my work is pretty much long form sort of storytelling. I kind of made a kind of bit of a name for myself, my work with injecting drug users and homeless people, which started to be published from 2017. And that was five years of work in total from 2014 to 2019. Since then, I have photographed extensively, extensively in like the northern grind music scene and, and a bit of drill of that scene, um, as well as like local projects on like grassroots football and cricket. Um, but since then, I've um, I did a book about cockfighting in Manila in the Philippines, and last year I released a book about an outdoor or Cannabis Farm, which was photographed over one year. And uh, the latest one, Tbilisi Raw, um, was only made very recently and just came out literally last week, which was documenting a group of football ultras in the Georgian capital.
0: It really is a fantastic uh, catalogue of work, and I truly recommend anyone listening to really go deep through your Instagram because it's so many incredible confronting photos there thank you so we're we're talking about Georgia today and kind of the Georgian skinhead hooligan movement so we'll, we'll start off how would you explain Georgia to someone that's never been I would say that
1: Georgia is a relatively newly independent country of around 30 years since the collapse of the Soviet Union. And since that time, it's been relatively unstable. You know, the Caucasus region is regarded as one of the most unstable regions of the world. But if you go there you go to Tbilisi, it's a really nice city and, you know, by and large, friendly people and everything. And it doesn't feel unstable. But since the collapse of the Soviet Union, of course, there was a civil war. There was also a war with Russia, who are the neighbor to the north. And Georgia also lost two parts of its territory, um, Abkhazia and South Ossetia. And uh, since the war in Ukraine, you can see a lot of anti-Russian feeling, anti-Russian graffiti uh, across the city but particularly around the city center so you know it's been very pronounced but you know if you don't speak georgian and you don't speak russian you don't really pick up on a lot of things you know people are talking you're not really understanding but when i was there in uh, march there was these big demonstrations of what they called the russian law and i'm making some inverted commas because it's exactly the same law that exists in america about funding of NGOs, that's a whole other issue. But um, I went down um, one of the evenings and got tear gassed, so that was pretty unpleasant, really. But uh, some of the ultras, they were down there participating as well. Hmm.
0: I I think Georgia is an absolutely incredible country. So that's Georgia. Um, I've I've been four times and I love it. Though. Oh great. I think uh, Tbilisi is an incredible city.
1: I like it. I spent a week in Yerevan in Armenia, and it's a very Mm. beautiful city. But as a photographer, I didn't find it very interesting, even though I did go with with the ultras of Punic Yerevan to a match, and I was in their sector and everything, and that was great, and they were very Mm. kind. And then I took the bus to, to Tbilisi. And it mm. was like a different world. The architecture is different. The atmosphere is different. The whole vibe is different. There's mm. graffiti everywhere. I mean, it's the kind of thing that I like. It reminded me of like just coming in to Bradford from uh, I
0: don't know Ilkley or somewhere, you know. So um,
1: I liked it as soon as I uh, I, I got there.
0: Mm. That's one thing I always say to anyone that's asked what, I, what I've thought about Georgia is it's got such an incredible. incredibly noticeable atmosphere like when you get there you know you are there (laughs) and that's quite hard to explain
1: i found it quite similar to belgrade Mm. can't really explain it i thought it was very similar to belgrade and i spoke to one of the leaders of the ultras there and you know um serbians aren't regarded as (laughs) the best of friends with, with, with Georgians and they were really surprised but I felt the, the kind of ambience the atmosphere was very very similar yeah. you know to to Belgrade whereas like Georgia and uh, Armenia to me were very different
0: hmm.
1: Very, hmm. very 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 different
0: I think I'd have to agree I think Belgrade and Tbilisi move at very similar paces I think they've got yeah. similar uh a similar outlook on how a day should be approached,
1: and I think the architecture is very similar. I mean, mm. I've been to many cities with these like panelaks, you know, these big like Soviet style apartment blocks, and you know, Novi Belgrade, New Belgrade is like incredible, and Tbilisi is the same with these big blocks. I've mm. been to other cities with the big blocks, but it seems like Belgrade, and Tbilisi, they have a similar similar atmosphere.
0: Hmm.
1: it's kind of hard to describe really you'd have to kind of be there and then kind of and somebody else might have a
0: different perception anyway Hmm. definitely I think it depends on the time of year you go there as well I think the atmosphere changes quite a lot with the weather
1: yeah and for me as a like documentary photographer I you know a sense of place is really important I'm really interested in the the environment so you know places like big blocks and things like that they appeal to me you know they have a an atmosphere all of their own, and I like that. For me, it's not just about the foreground in a photo or whatever. The whole the whole photo, the background, the environment is
0: critical. Mm. So, let's get into Georgian skinheads. So, can you provide a little overview of what what it means to be a Georgian skinhead?
1: Well, I only know a few. So if you don't mind, let's go back a few steps. Mm. Because when I went to Tbilisi in October, I didn't know one person there. So my introduction to the work that I was doing was I saw that Dinamo had a game on a cup game when I was there, I think two days later after I arrived. So um, I thought, okay, I will go to the game. And then I looked to see online if they had an ultras group because I thought that might be a cool thing to photograph. And that was, I thought maybe I could go into a match with them, take some pictures, and that will be it, really. So I contacted them, and I was very surprised to receive a reply at first, and then I had a conversation with one of the guys. It's Alita, they're called, Elita Dinamo Tbilisi. This is the ultras group. They're the only real ultras group in Tbilisi, and the most... The, the most important ultras group in all of Georgia and probably the most important one in the whole Caucasus, I, I would imagine, even though they're not that big in size. And they looked at my Instagram, had a lot more pictures on my Instagram at that time. And I think they just had a feeling about me. And then they said, why didn't you come and meet us? So I met them and then I went into their sector. So it's quite interesting that they control a sector Sector Seventeen. They have the keys for it. Nobody can go in there. No foreigners can go in there. No tourists can go in there. No journalists and no photographers. So I found that I was the first one in there, and uh, there was about hundred of these guys. And some of them were skinheads, and some of them weren't skinheads. Mm -hmm. Some of them were like casuals, you know. Some of them were just guys, you know. And it was very intimidating. Um, I'm actually not intimidating to me because I, when I got there, I didn't know what to expect, but actually everybody was very friendly and everything. And then I went in the sector with them and within two minutes, they'd identified two Russian guys in the stadium. They said, who are you? Where are you from? And they said, we're from Russia. And the elite guy said, fuck Russia. Russian guy give a middle finger and these guys came out of the sector like in a split second, like it's caged off, right? But they just got over these cages and the the Russian guys ran off, they ran after them and then they beat them in the stadium. So i have been in there two minutes and I saw this and I thought, okay, this is heavy.
0: This is heavy. (laughs) That, That is certainly an introduction.
1: Then the two or three guys came back. And they looked at me and they were like smiling and they said, did you get any pictures? And actually I just shoot with a wide angle lens. It was too far away. It was 50 meters or something away. The picture is useless. I said, no, listen, I'm shooting with a wide angle lens. I'm just working close, close up with people and everything. They said, oh, okay, no problem. And that that was that really. And then, you know, the game went on. Um, Everything was kind of fine. And then, I noticed some of the guys, they took off their T-shirts. And then I could see some, uh, like, neo-Nazi tattoos. Because I didn't know anything about Alita, you know? So I thought, oh, OK, definitely some of these guys are far right. But everything's OK. I didn't feel in, in any danger or anything. I took a lot of pictures. And then it kind of got even more crazy as the evening went on. Because, you know, the game finished. And one of the guys, the main guy who I'm in touch with, and I'm like talking to him every day. The game finished. He said, "What are you doing now?" It was like, half past nine at night or something dark. And I said, oh, "I don't have any plan." He said, Do "You want to come with us?" I thought, "Yeah, okay, why not? You know, maybe I'll get some pictures." We jump in this car, and apparently there was about four or five cars. Uh, I, at, the, at that time, I was just in one car. And we were just flying through the streets of Tbilisi, going further and further away from the center. And then I I was sat in the back seat. There was four guys, four like ultras in the car. And then it just dawned on me, or I had this thought, like, these guys are just going to take me somewhere and just, like, kick the shit out of me, or worse, you know? And then I thought, no, 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 don't be stupid. If they wanted to do that, they would have just done that already. Just relax. Everything's cool. So I said to the guy, I said, where are we going? He said, we're going to go and do an ambush on these other ultras from uh, Torpedo. So uh, they dropped me off and I hung around. And a few minutes later, these guys just came well, they came down the road, but what it was, there was like a wide pavement and then like some bushes or trees. And then there was the road. The road was quite wide. So they came out on the road side. So they weren't really visible. And then suddenly they just charged through these trees and they just started beating these guys. So it was about 25, 30 torpedo and about 15 a liter. And it was just like being in, in a movie and, uh, so I was there and I thought, okay, I'll get my camera out. And it was like dark, but I just fired off some pictures. The whole thing lasted maybe a minute. There was about three definite big fights that happened. And then the next thing, all the Elita guys just ran off into the into some hood. They went around the shops and they ran off in, into this hood. And I thought, well, I can't run off. And if I start, if I run off now, I'm going to get like kicked in. So uh, I just got my phone out, went on like Google Maps, found where where my apartment was, clicked directions. It said, take the 309 bus to the metro. (laughs) This is in the Barcatilli district. And uh, I I knew how to navigate the metro. Mm. And I looked over the road. The 309 bus was there. I walked over and I went on the bus and I was out. So this was my introduction my baptism of fire into like Georgian hooliganism. And while I was on the bus, I got a WhatsApp from the main contact of mine, just saying, where are you? And I just replied, don't worry about me. I'm out of there. I'm on my way back to my apartment. Talk to you later. And that was the thing that got me in with these guys because Alito are notoriously hostile. They're very, very aggressive. They like violence. They're proper serious ultras. They're all right wing, and uh, but I earned their respect, and that was the beginning of my relationship really with uh, with not just the ultras but also the skinheads. You know who part of them make up Elita, and then mm-hmm. I, as, when I went back in March, I met some other skinheads as well. It's a bit of a long answer, but that's how it all kind <laughs> of yeah. that's how it, it came together.
0: It's a fascinating kind of. It really is being thrown into the deep end. Incredible. It was the
1: only time in my life as a photographer that I've ever felt completely invisible. The whole time this went on, I'm certain nobody even saw me or looked at me. Mm. And then I got out of there, so I definitely had some kind of higher protection that day but actually when I came back to the UK and I thought you know could I go back there to make a book with these guys and and then kind of decompressing and running through everything through my head you you kind of have a PTSD going on I mean I've had PTSD from like other photography projects just really heavy stuff so you have to like work it through your head and even now I'm like even though the book is out now and the work was finished in March I'm still working it through my head so it's like a form of PTSD you know you just have to like work it through and then then it then it's all good you know Mm. but it's like this it was heavy it was very very heavy definitely
0: and so you say it was quite um the, the notorious for not really speaking to journalists so how did the conversation go when you tried to go back and do the book
1: Well what happened was that when I was uh, when I got back to my apartment that night there was some young uh there was a couple of guys who were skinheads and they were teenagers they were only 16 and but one of them had like neo-nazi tattoos and they took my instagram and then I arranged to meet them the following day so I actually spent the whole afternoon hanging out with these four teenagers and when I met them, I realised they were all neo-Nazi boys but they were fine with me and everything and I spent three, four hours with them, you know, we took some kind of formal pictures and then we went down to some like disused railway tracks and after a while they kind of weren't paying me much attention at times and I was just shooting like candid pictures, just, you know, the dynamics between them and the the friendship and and it was really good but then I got ill I got ill that night and then The last two days were wasted, and then I had to come back. But um, the main guy who I was dealing with from Elita, I was speaking to him every single day when I got back through WhatsApp. So we just formed this relationship then, and uh, it was very productive. It was very positive. I learned a lot about him and them, and he was keeping me updated on what they were doing you know i was getting like videos from matches and finding out certain actions that were taking place and after like 3 or 4 weeks i thought maybe i can go back and make a book and i suggested it and uh, by then the relationship was really really good so they said yeah come so the season ended in december starts again the last uh, weekend of february so I went the first weekend in March and worked on that pretty solidly for 10 days. They set up a lot of things for me so I could maximize my uh, my time there, travel with them to a couple of games, went to their private gatherings. And, uh, and then one of the guys who's, like one of the, the senior guys in the ultras, he's a very prominent neo-Nazi figure in Georgia. So he'd asked, me like can you come and photograph my boys me and my boys this week while you're here and I said yeah sure that was the only time really I was a bit like worried because I was going off with going off to like a forest somewhere and I knew there was going to be people there that didn't know me obviously all the Elita boys they knew me they see me you know at games but actually it was fine Uh, everybody was very welcoming and very accommodating to all the requests I had for pictures, and they were like training in the forest, you know, fighting training, and I was just photographing. I had like total access. I mean, it was incredible, really. Yeah. So that so basically, there was like you have a leader, which was which is the like the umbrella group, which is made of uh, smaller factions like brigada. Uh, um, and like fronty and then some sort of non-aligned boys. And then you have some like n- proper neo-Nazis, you know. So some of those neo-Nazis are part of Elita and some of uh, Elita are part of them, but some of them aren't either way, you know. So there's a connection, but you couldn't really necessarily say that, well, are a neo-Nazi ultras movement, but, you know, they are... Right wing, shall we yeah. put it? Yeah, you know, if we're going to start splitting hairs or, or whatever, yeah.
0: So, in some of your observations through this, what do you think some of the underlying factors are that kind of contributed to the rise of these groups?
1: So, going back, to like to what we we're talking originally about the instability of of Georgia. I mean, these 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 guys. They're very nationalist. They love Georgia, and I found them very similar to like the nationalists you would have in the UK in like the late seventies, early eighties, and that whole skinhead movement and that whole football hooligan movement. They're very much modelled on that, and they would often be asking me, "Oh, what was it like in those days?" You know, and everything, and they saw that as like the peak peak hooliganism and peak like like street-level fascist neo-Nazi movement, as well as other ones from different countries, obviously Germany and Italy in particular. And then, you know, this massive hatred of of Russia, you know, and they there's, there's actually a three-page interview in the book with Alita and they, they just say Russians are our enemy, you know, we don't care even if they're like far-right or nationalist people if 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 we find Russians we're gonna beat them. If they're with their like girlfriends or wives, then they're probably safe. But we're gonna we're gonna beat them. But but also they have the same opinion by and large with like immigrants. So you know you go to Tbilisi, you can find Indian restaurants, you see black people and Asian people, whatever there but it's not particularly safe, I would say, for immigrant people in Tbilisi. even though people can come there have a few days you may end up being in the wrong place at the wrong time and some of these guys, I mean fortunately when I was there there was no action against civilians, that's something I cannot condone, I don't want to be part of I don't want really anything to do with any of that, if it's ultras against ultras, I don't have any problem with that, that's what people sign up for but I know there's like I mean, they talk about it candidly in the interview, like about attacking immigrants in in Tbilisi and things like that, you know? So it was was surreal because I was treated, I I was totally accepted, totally trusted. This whole work was based on trust. Everybody was very kind to me, very warm, very, very accommodating. But on the other side, you know, politically, I don't share those views, but I just try to be a very honest documenter. You know, so my philosophy is listen more, talk less. I don't think there's, I mean, you can read articles about, you know, neo Nazis in Georgia. It seems to be having increasing popularity, but I wasn't part of anything that was wider. In the time I was there, I mean, like I got sent videos from like people going to see like a neo-Nazi band, you know, and I was actually invited to something after I'd come back, like a gathering and everything. But, you know, I could only do what I could while I was there, of course. But uh, you you find just walking through Tbilisi, anti-Russian graffiti like, all over the place. So there's definitely a sizable grassroots feeling not definitely against russia and probably on a smaller scale against immigrants you know people Mm. who are not like pure georgian inverted commas or or white inverted commas
0: Mm. because i I guess it's also important to state that for anyone that doesn't know how many russians have actually come into georgia since the start of the ukraine invasion and That's right, street. and that
1: was very sizable, and people were complaining that like the cost of apartments had gone up and so on. You oh, know, yeah. for me when yeah. I was there in October, where that that was a, a much higher level than when I went in March, because I think many had gone back by then. You know, if you're just walking around Tbilisi, if somebody speaking Georgian or Russian, you're not even if you're not familiar with those languages, you're not paying any attention. Like if somebody two people walk past you and they were talking Armenian or. You know, why would they speak in Azerbaijan? You wouldn't even pick up any difference, you know? Of course, if you're there, you would pick it up. And of course, some people who are foreigners, who are tourists, may go there who have some Russian. So they may face some, a hostile reception by just going into shops maybe and asking to buy some bread and coffee or something. But they're speaking in, in Russian, you know, which is obviously widely spoken there.
0: Yeah, it certainly does happen. I've been mistaken for being Russian several times, being there, especially the ginger beard. I've been accused of being Chechen a few times and I'm sat there like, promise, <laughs> promise I'm not. The Modern Insurgent is completely independent. If you want to support our work and help boost independent journalism, please consider supporting us via Patreon at patreon.com slash moderninsurgent. Thank you very much. So how do these groups impact the local communities?
1: Um, I think like up until a few years ago, probably more than now because uh, Elita were involved in some far-right demonstrations in Tbilisi and that resulted in uh, a a lot of pressure from the police so they've kind of backed off on that Mm. and also like even though they have a strong relationship with the club, the club were fined 50,000 euros a few years ago because of a banner that alita had at a a european match at that time so most of these guys who are part of alita they're living out in these hoods like varkatili or the airport district or africa district these districts near the airport isani on that side i don't think really there's much impact i mean they're just the the young guys they're all between like 16 and 23, they're all very closely connected. But the ultras movement is still quite small in Georgia. And football attendances are also small, you know, especially at Dinamo where the stadium holds like 55,000 people and it's Mm. hardly anybody there. I think things will change if like, the ultras are really marginal at best. Unless they're going to do some like cortio or something, you know, on the way to a game. So, if they get some like European opposition or something, then they're more able to to do more uh, more dramatic things visually in in the in the, in the center. I mean, when they go into like away games, you know, they're well known. The police and the authorities are like stopping the bus making sure they're, they're going to arrive late or not let them out of the stadium, you know, to try to, to stop any potential travel because these guys are ready at, at a moment's notice to start fighting.
0: So that, you touched uh, on how the Georgian police kind of react to uh, the Georgian hooligans, especially for away games. Is that uh, same... Um, kind of narrative stuck to by the Georgian authorities? Do they kind of always look to crack down on these groups?
1: That's my understanding. Um, certainly it's it's still an issue, uh, violence at football, because like a month or so ago um, somebody went too close to the elite sector. A young guy went too close to the elite elite sector and um there was some of some abuse and everything, and then he was beaten um like if you imagine like the terraces and then they, you've got like a concourse that's private with no cameras. he was beaten up there and the report of from that was uh, aired on Georgian television. so it was obviously a big a big deal, and they had contacted Alita. Um, for some comment or whatever and they ignored they weren't interested in responding to the media you know so I'm certain that the authorities are aware and don't want those things to happen but it's kind of localized because there's not actually that many people at matches you know and I noticed when I was there when those two Russian guys got beat up the security just stood there and watched it you know they didn't intervene or anything but certainly I think if there's European opposition, like, like, um, I think, 12th of July, Dinamo will be drawn two legs um, against Astana from Kazakhstan, first qualifying round of Champions League. If they win that, they will play Dinamo Zagreb. So I think, I would imagine the authorities would be quite alert in case there's any potential for trouble. But what I understand is Elita are not interested to be fighting against Astana so I think they only have certain perceived enemies. But it might be different with different teams uh, within Georgia. And they've tried to have fights with different ultras groups from different uh, domestic clubs um, over the last months, and none of them have taken place. So I think it's without doubt that Alita is seen as the most feared group of ultras that, that, that exist in the country, without any doubt at all. You know, if 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 you were there and you saw them, you you wouldn't want to uh, to get tangled up with them.
0: Yeah, they certainly seem like very committed, scary ultras.
1: Yeah, and um, you know they want to make a name for themselves. And in the interview in my book, they say we don't even care to be the biggest ultras group in uh, in Georgia. We want to be the biggest in the region. You know, and also they say that you only show your power at away games and they've got quite a strong contingent who will go to matches away. They say it doesn't mean anything at home. It's away games where you show your power, especially if you go to an away game and, you know, there's an altercation. I mean, a few years ago, uh, Dean and I were playing Torpedo in Kutawesi and I've got the footage on my phone and there's literally like 40 guys from like Alita or whoever it was then um, I think it was Alita actually fighting I don't know hundreds <laughs> from from Torpedo and fighting them off you know and they were really proud like you know but they're not scared at all, Betar, Jerusalem they came to Tbilisi um, the Alita guys found out where they were 15 against 40 and they charged the Jerusalem guys and the Jerusalem guys ran off you know so numbers is not an issue these guys Mm.
0: they're they're fearless certainly not people that I'd want to cross on a dark Tbilisi street to be honest that's right (laughs) Uh, so I also want to touch more on kind of the wider neo-Nazi stance obviously they're not one of the same but there's certainly quite strong links between the two what what does why, why is there quite a strong neo-Nazi movement in Georgia
1: I think the the nationalist Georgians they look back to this uh, original Georgian Republic that was established I think in 1921 you know and um, before I think Georgia was fully incorporated into the Soviet Union they see this as the that's the model for the country that they want. And in fact, when I went to meet these skinheads in the forest and photographed them, they pulled out this actual flag. You know, when I saw them pulling this flag out, I thought it was going to be some, like, neo-Nazi flag. I didn't know what it was. And they were holding it up. I said, what is it? And they said, oh, the First Georgian Republic or something. But, yeah, they, they would model themselves on all those previous uh, – Regimes that have existed of similar ilk, you know, with a very strong anti-immigration policy, and I've seen people posting on Instagram, you know, completely pure neo-Nazi stuff. So they're well, uh, they're well versed in it, you know. They're well educated uh, in it, you know. When I went the time in the forest, I was talking to one guy who was. Very pleasant to me, and he was saying, you know, how much he loved Oswald Mosley. So they're well versed in in their politics. I don't share any of that, of course, but um, they would want to see a movement in Georgia, and there is a wider movement. You know, you can see videos on YouTube. There's a, there is a wider fascist movement, um, but you know, a lot of times people are covering their faces. You don't, you couldn't tell, like these people with these people, you know, some of the uh, allegiances and alliances might be quite loose as well. And maybe there's differences between the groups. I mean, it's hard for me just being there for just shooting for 12 days. And the guy that I'm mainly in touch with, who's one of the leaders of Elita. He's not one of these Nazis, you know, he's not part of that, that group. So he's, yeah, he's telling me some stuff and I'm learning about it. But it's not coming from like the actual horse's mouth. And actually, when I was there, I wasn't uh, I wasn't really engaging with them on that deeper level, you know, because I'm concerned about other things. I'm concerned about taking pictures. I'm concerned about my safety and, and just having this kind of workable, trusting relationship without getting into like more finer details you know somebody might say to me oh how can you go and work with these people you know uh why aren't you challenging them or something and if i went to Georgia and challenged these people i'd be in hospital or worse that's not my job my job is to show show something that's real that's authentic and of course no photographer has ever made a photo book inside a football ultras group ever it's the first one you know and then this kind of running side by side with it with a definite crossover was this access into this, this neo-Nazi group, you know so of course you don't get we can't get access in, into that. so my concerns is to, to have a productive relationship where I'm able to take these very honest, authentic pictures because I don't really want to get into a discussion around this or that. and if they're talking to me, I'm more listening than anything else.
0: Yeah, 100%. 100%. I've, I've spent time in or um, with some neo Nazi ultras in Sofia, at uh, a Cisco game. And the idea of challenging them, their beliefs kind of in their territory is one of the dumbest ideas I could kind of think of in that situation. Like there's a, there's a time and a place for ideological debates and being in an ultra's stand it's not one of those places. Exactly.
1: You know, one guy who bought my book, uh, he messaged me, I think a couple of days ago and he was like, Oh yeah. Amazing pictures, incredible and stuff. And then he said, "And th- he said, I was like really taken aback by the pictures. And then I realized like you were actually there taking the pictures, you know? And I think sometimes people forget that like somebody is there taking risks to make this work. And, um, People might have their own ideas sat at home about how all this works. But, you know, this was the most dangerous piece of work I've ever done. On paper, probably impossible. Obviously not impossible because I went there and I did it. I'm not a fighting guy, you know. People on the margins of society, they respect people who are just real. They don't need to be like them. If you try to be like them, then they see through it in a a flash, you know. But if you're just real and they see you're real and then if you can build up trust, then great, something may happen. But most people, I think, on the outside, they have no real idea of what it must be like on the inside doing this work or even being around people like that. Because most people are living in their own bubble in whatever way in life. You know, they're not really even a lot of the time interacting with people who have different points of view. I mean, we saw that with like Brexit. You know, when that vote happened and it was like, oh, how did that happen? You know, well, like 50% of the population feel very different to how you do. That's how it happened. But you don't know that because you're not actually interacting or engaging with people who are different than you. And I, I would like to think like being in Tbilisi and making this work that maybe I've opened up a slightly different world that exists you know when i've been talking to them my main guy there through whatsapp you know i'm just explaining like well in the uk we're all just kind of getting on you know people are used to being with different races of people and the kids are growing up together it's all right you know and 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 things so just to give yeah there is there are different ways and there's also ways and means and that's the right time to talk about these things, of course.
0: So it kind of leads me on to an interesting question there. What are some of the like common, like misconceptions about the work you do? Um, sometimes it will
1: like people, you have these like often these intense debates within photographic community about like, if you're working with people who are like, poor or marginalized or vulnerable, then the photographer must be somehow guilty of exploitation, just looking to make their own name at of the expense of other people and it's power imbalance and everything. But all the work I do is consensual. You know, I worked with many injecting drug users in Bradford, many of them very, very vulnerable people. And all that work was based on trust. And I think people bring all kinds of baggage into the photography world, particularly from where they're coming from. If you're coming from more wealthy, affluent backgrounds, you're probably not even being around people on the, on the margins or living on estates or, or whatever. So people have loads of like misconceptions and one thing that like, I kind of recognize as a photographer is like, you've really got to have a lot of empathy and compassion for people. And like working with these guys in Georgia, I kind of realized that probably for most people, empathy and compassion, they might think they have it, but is it limited or does it extend to all human beings? You know, is there like a red line where it's like, no, those, there are people who don't deserve our compassion.
0: I think it's different if you're doing... Become yeah. judgmental rather than empathetic in these more extreme yeah. situations.
1: Yeah, and so you know, I I just like I I try and listen, and I try and show people that like I'm trustworthy, and I've obviously got some kind of way that it does work. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been able to do some of these very sketchy projects and everything. But you know, it's it's all different. Every scene is different. Every person is different. Every group is different. But like most people, they don't. They might express views or fairly strong views about any of it, but they don't really know any of it. You know, they don't know. People are quick to judge, people are quick to make statements about other people or quick to demonize people. I mean, yeah, these guys are far right. Most people are not going to w- want to deal with people like that. I, I understand and I accept that, obviously. You know, we have racial discrimination laws and and so on and so forth. However, there are groups of people on the margins of society who are worthy of being documented. They're part of our existence. And for many, many young men, regardless of the politics, violence is a way of life. You know, I work for, I work for a bare knuckle pit fighting club as a photographer. I'm working with a couple of other ring bare knuckle clubs. I'm around a lot of fighting guys violence is for them is is normal. You know, and I think if two people can go and have a scrap and sort out their differences, then that's definitely better than somebody getting stabbed. You know, so violence isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's part of life. And the other thing as well is like with these guys, they like love each other unconditionally, like people do in the military. You know, and there's something about young men or men being able to do that, you know. Especially yeah, in like, a and age
0: where there are so many young men that specifically miss that.
1: Exactly. And also, you know, these other ideas that now exist in society, like the LGBTQ plus, whatever, you know, in Georgia, these guys, they're totally against that. And a lot of people are who like recognize like importance of so- family units and and everything. It's you know, so without getting into all of that because it's obviously a massive minefield. Something and your life getting meaning from that. And then The other point I'd like to make as well is like, even though these guys might have views that probably most people would regard as fairly abhorrent in terms of racism, for me I try to think well, I'm not going to let that define them for like ever, you know, people change, people learn in life for many people change. So just because somebody has certain views at 16 or 20, it doesn't mean always going to be like that. You know, you have to be exposed to other factors, other people for you, you know, and also to grow up, you know, to have a wider, hopefully more balanced perspective on, on people and life, you know,
0: so, like, how does the Georgian public kind of look to these groups? Obviously, we can look at them from, like, a Western perspective. What, what? How does the Georgian public kind of line up with...
1: I couldn't really tell you because I didn't really have any conversations with any other Georgians. Hmm. Um, apart from, like... People who were like renting me apartments, and one one family who rented me apartment, their son is playing for um, uh, what they call a locomotive, uh, one of the other teams in uh, in Tbilisi. And they, they don't have a, like ultras movement, but uh, I sat with him for a few hours one day and uh, said I was working with the leader and stuff. He said, "Oh, these guys are crazy and everything," <laughs> you know. So, um, I don't know what the wider public thinks. I think a lot of the time the wider public is not really that interested in football in terms of the ultra stuff at the moment. You know people are trying to survive and like you know, it's a bit unstable there still. And in terms of far right, I don't think there's a lot that's really tangible. You know, but sometimes you can watch videos. You know, where people are going out. Oh, what do you think of this? What do you think? What do you think of Russians here? And you can get some kind of idea what people think. But I think there's definite splits between like pro-pro-West slash NATO slash EU and pro-Russia, pro-Eastern looking. You know, I don't think that's going to be resolved kind of anytime soon. You know,
0: a country like Georgia a is such. Subject-
1: it's a minefield i think georgia is, is is complex there's different internal and external forces and all these places which are kind of like on the border like you know ukraine is on the border between say east and west in inverted commas turkey's on the border georgia's on the border you know all these uh, all these places are going to have like conflict of one way or another i think in in the in the decades to come I don't think that's um, I don't think that's to be avoided, and I think the more unstable Georgian society may end up becoming. Then I think there's more of a danger than that people look to more extreme views. You know that's what happens when societies break down, isn't it? People go to 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 more extreme potential solutions. So I think there's a definite risk there. I think, you know, in places where people's living standards rise and everything and their life is more stable, they go towards a more middle ground. I think also, I mean, there obviously like far right is far right, but I think there's a massive now blurring of left and right. Traditional left and right. It's a massive blurring of it now, you know, particularly in the last fifteen years or so, you know, from like the the uh, the conflicts in the Arab world, particularly like, like Syria, Libya, you know, through to like Ukraine and stuff. So um, a lot of things are just not clear cut anymore. But things on the things on the, the far left or the far right, they they don't really change so much, do they, compared to like the traditional left through the middle to the right, which changes a lot actually, or,
0: or currently it's changing. It's certainly become a bit of a mishmash of a spectrum. And so my final question is a little bit of a two-parter. Do you think say Alita and then the wider Nazi movement in Georgia are dangerous? And if so, what can be done?
1: They are dangerous. Most of the time they're looking for ultras or other football groups to fight with sometimes it's fighting out of hatred and sometimes it's fighting out of culture, you know, because when Feyenoord went to Tbilisi, they had a, uh, I think a two on two or a four on four. Uh, When Maribor from Slovenia were there, they had an organized fight. So they, they, they want to have fights. They love fighting. And that kind of ultras on ultras violence doesn't affect your average person. You know, it's kind of harmless in that way. You know, it's not like, the so-called glory days of British hooliganism when you go to a game and you wonder whether you're gonna get out alive because you could be a target. Hooliganism's not really like that so much anymore. But I think like like with leader, of course it's dangerous because like they see like Russian people as an enemy. So that could be dangerous, you know, for any Russian. And I think there's a danger of like people who are immigrants in Tbilisi although by and large, Georgian people are welcoming. I mean, quite a few tourists. I mean, it's not really a tourist place by and large, not like Spain or Paris or whatever, but you know, it has quite significant tourism. So quite a lot of foreigners are coming in and spending a few days and they're enjoying it and they're probably thinking this is really good. So it's not that prevalent at the moment, but I think there's always a risk depending on how stable society is and, and what's going on there. But I think that's the same like, Everywhere. I mean, like somewhere like France, it's a lot more pronounced, isn't it, in Italy, but um, maybe other European countries as well. Um, But Georgia, not really at this moment.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it's somewhere where tourism is going to increase. So it might even be a situation where interactions might start to be seen. Which would be a shame because it's a it's a country that I absolutely adore. So I hope there isn't any kind of strife in that sense. Great. So thank you for having me. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on today, John. If people want to uh, find your book, where can they get it?
1: Yeah, you can find me on uh, johnbulletin.co.uk, J-O-H-N-B-O-L-L-O-T-E-N. But I think if you just put in something like Documentary Photographer Bradford, or you probably, I would probably come up, or um, you can find me on Instagram as well. So yeah. that's, that's why I make to, well, my obviously my website is there, then Instagram is the main kind of platform I'm using, but Instagram doesn't like me anymore. So I'm kind of permanently shadow banned and banned from doing this and banned from doing that. And, you know, nobody, Everybody I really can see my stuff unless they follow me. And if they follow me, they probably still can't see it unless they're interacting. So you know, all those tricks that social media companies do, which is ridiculous, really, because there's people out there like me. We're trying to make work on the margins of society. It, it, it may be uncomfortable viewing, but it's real. It's authentic. And it's just becoming harder and harder to get our work seen. You know, I'm not, I'm not a guy looking for fame. I'm trying to make work that I think is value. And it's just becoming harder and harder to, to get that seen. And places like Instagram were quite democratic platforms once, but now like the algorithms just gone out of control and uh, you can't, there's no human being there running the show. You can't talk like you and me and like maybe have a conversation that has got a bit of nuance in it. (laughs) or something, I it's like, no, I'm not promoting violence. I'm not promoting drugs. I'm not promoting any politics. I'm just showing work that I'm making. Mm. I'm not really a photojournalist or anything like that. I'm not rude, but Instagram doesn't understand that because like, the, the robot who's making all the decisions has been programmed to like cover like the widest possible field of potential violations. And then once you get caught up in that, then it's a real problem to get yourself back out of it. So it's a real struggle, actually. So anybody who can go and buy a book of mine or a print or something, it's always very welcome. It does help me try to carry on making this work. work.
0: We face really similar problems at The Modern Insurgent in regards to Instagram posting like a lot about different insurgencies or terrorist groups. There's a lot that gets you banned. So you have to be very careful. So I implore everyone to go. I mean, if if you're putting out,
1: if you're putting out content, that's pure pro Ukraine, you're going to have a free pass. If you come up with anything, that's an alternative point of view, they can't accept it. And, you know, there's different narratives of every conflict that exists in the world, you know, and the global South, has a very different view to what the kind of global west has and people in the global west they kind of feel like oh but it's like this and the whole world thinks that and it's it's not like that but it's harder and harder to show alternatives or even just to accept that people have different different views and people have long memories as well you know they have long memories if their countries have been unstable for long periods of time same as the Georgians do they have long memories you know in the interview with the leader they say Russia's been our enemy for hundreds of years so you know whatever's happened in the history that's just keeps building up in 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 the psyche but I think often us like here in the UK and Other Western countries we have short memories. We forgot what the government was saying like six months ago about this or that. You know, I think people need to just try and think a bit more and look at different what different people are saying, at least. You know, to try and at least try and form a more informed, balanced opinion or something that resembles maybe something closer to the to the what the real truth is,
0: which may or may not
1: be black and white at all.
0: Discussion and education, I r- really do think they are the two key points that everyone, if we just focused on a little bit more, the world would be a bit of a brighter place. So, hopefully, the that's people... the nice ending it's... point we can.
1: Yeah, the more people can talk together, the, the less likely they are probably to start fighting. Mm. It's not really rocket science, but it's not that easy. It seems to be coming more difficult, unfortunately. <laughs> Yeah, but if you I'm want a fight, go to Tbilisi go in the stadium, <laughs> and go next to the sector, and then the, 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 then you can have your fight.
0: <laughs> and I'm sure they'd be happy to give you one. Okay, <laughs> so thank you very much, John, and goodbye.